The following exposition of 1 Corinthians 15, 12-19, entitled The Dire Consequences of Denying the Resurrection, was preached by Dr. David Harrell at Calvary Bible Church in Jolton, Tennessee, on Sunday, October 27, 2019. A small portion of the audio from Dr. Harrell's introduction was lost. Here's Dr. Harrell with the dire consequences of denying the resurrection. Mid-introduction. He went on to say, They also believe that Paul regarded the resurrection to be merely an act of God in which Jesus was a passive recipient of God's power. Paul did not mention the empty tomb, the visit by a woman or women, the stone, the angel, angels, man, men at the tomb, and reunion of Jesus with his followers in a resuscitated body. Rather, he believed that Jesus was taken up into heaven in a spirit body. It was only later, from about 70 to 110 A.D., that the four canonic gospels were written that Christians believed that Jesus rose from the grave in his original body and by his own power. Later, perhaps, after Paul's death, there was great disappointment within the Christian communities because Jesus had not returned as expected. So they diverted their focus of attention away from Jesus' second coming. They studied his life and death more intensely, Legends without a historical basis were created by the early church. These included the empty tomb and described Jesus returning in his original body to eat and talk with his followers, and on and on it goes. You say, but the Bible contradicts all of this. Well, of course it does, but you must understand the Bible is not their spiritual authority. They would say that much of these beliefs about the resurrection came from beliefs and cultures of surrounding pagan societies. They do not believe that the Bible is the inspired, inerrant, infallible, authoritative, all-sufficient word of the living God. And so when you don't believe that, you can believe all kinds of things. They would believe, for example, that many New Testament passages are little more than religious propaganda unique to the, the author of, of his or her faith group. This, beloved, is the dominant view of most so-called Christians and certainly non-Christians around the world. Back to the resurrection, Most liberals believe that it's just symbolism, it's just metaphor. Perhaps you've heard of the retired Episcopal Bishop John Shelby Spong, best known for his famous liberal interpretation of Christianity. Um, in, In his 1995 book, Resurrection, Myth or Reality, he answers the question, does Christianity fall unless a supernatural miracle can be established? And for Spong, the answer is an emphatic no. He says, I don't think the resurrection has anything to do with physical resuscitation. I think it means the life of Jesus was raised back into the life of God, not into the life of this world, and that it it was out of this that his presence, not his body, was manifested to certain witnesses. And he thinks that the resurrection must be placed in context to be interpreted properly and understood. And the article that I read said that he tried to do this as a young priest in the Bible Belt through year-long Bible study classes culminating in the Easter story. He said, I tried to help people get out of that literalism. But you don't do it in a single sermon. 
You need time to lay the groundwork and for people to process it. Ask questions. You have to begin to build it. And if you read about Spong's Bible studies, you will see that they were immensely popular. And his congregation grew as a result of his teaching. He went on to say, when people hear it, they grab onto it. They could, they could not believe the superstitious stuff. And they were brainwashed to believe that if they could not believe it literally, they could not be a Christian. A Christian, Spong said, is one who accepts the reality of God without the requirement of a literal belief in miracles. What the resurrection says is that Jesus breaks every human limit, including the limit of death. And by walking in his path, you can catch a glimpse of that. And I think that's a pretty good message. I've heard this type of stuff over the years in the halls of academia. And believe me, folks, this is what your children will hear in most colleges and universities that they go to. And sadly, in most seminaries. Dear Christian, this is how Satan deceives. He is the father of lies. He seeks to thwart the purposes of God, and he does this primarily through the dissemination of false teaching, attacking the word of God and the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, beginning in verse 3, that he veils the gospel to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. We know that he speaks through false teachers, wolves in sheep's clothing. In other words, false teachers who pretend to be pastors, predators in pulpits. Paul warned about this in 1 Timothy 4, beginning in verse 1. He says, but the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. And, of course, this kind of message appeals to fallen flesh. Fallen flesh is by nature at enmity with God. It appeals so much that, as Paul said in 2 Timothy 4, beginning in verse 3, they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. And they will turn away from the truth, turn away their ears from the truth, and they will turn aside unto myths. And when that happens, men and women will believe almost anything. They will be lies that are destructive, that are wicked, that are damning. And this is why Paul warned that we put on the full armor of God, so that we will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. And this is one of his greatest schemes, to deceive people regarding the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, especially through the heresy of denying a literal bodily resurrection. And that's what Paul is talking about here in 1 Corinthians 15. Oh, child of God. Let me just begin by telling you the implications of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead are absolutely enormous. You must remember theologically that, that this proved that 
the father's wrath was fully satisfied by his beloved son who died as a substitute for all who would trust in him. It proved that Jesus was the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. It proved that there was a great transaction at the cross where justice and mercy came together as the greatest act of love in the history of the universe. It proved that the consequences of Adam's sin was fully dealt with. It proved that Christ conquered the devil who holds the keys to death. And it also proved that man can be made right, made right with God. It proved that righteousness has been imputed to undeserved, undeserving sinners. As Paul said in Romans 4.25, For he was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. And beloved, it proves that there is a guarantee that all who are united to faith, or united to Christ by grace through faith, will also be resurrected from the dead. But if the resurrection were a hoax, if it's all just a myth, if it's all just a metaphorical symbol, if it's all, as the liberal said, about Jesus who breaks every human limit, then folks, none of the great truths that I just mentioned to you would be real. And that's exactly Paul's point in this passage. Well, let me read the text to you, beginning in verse 12, 1 Corinthians 15. Now, Paul says, If Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. Your faith also is vain. Moreover, We are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. Bottom line, what he is saying is this. If you reject the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, along with the resurrection of all who are united to him by saving faith, then you cannot be called a Christian and you will perish in your sin. It's very clear. That is his argument. And obviously the denial of the resurrection has these horrible consequences. And with this in mind, I want us to examine Paul's argument here to these misguided believers in Corinth who believed in the resurrection of Christ. Otherwise, they wouldn't be Christians. But they just couldn't quite grasp the idea of the resurrection of themselves and other believers. So Paul begins at verse 12. He says, now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead. By the way, that that phrase has been raised. It's in the perfect tense in the original language, which means he is presently alive. 
So in other words, if that has been preached, how does some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? So obviously, the resurrection of Christ is central to the gospel message. That's what was preached. That's what they heard. May I remind you that the very first sermon that Peter preached at Pentecost included this great theme, Acts 2, beginning in verse 22. He said, men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus, the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God, this man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. And then later he spoke of how Jesus was still alive in body, not merely in spirit, consisted with King David, who, according to verse 31, looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades nor did his flesh suffer decay. Moreover, you will recall in in just the first three verses of 1 Corinthians 15, Paul said, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you were saved, if you hold fast to the word which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. We could also go to Paul's opening remarks in his letter to the Romans, where he speaks of himself being a bondservant of Christ Jesus, who has declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead according to the Spirit of holiness. And dear friends, did not Jesus say, To John on the Isle of Patmos, I am the first and the last and the living one, and I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and of Hades. Of course he did. So, Paul's point here in verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 15 is simply this. You would not be a Christian if you did not believe in the bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ that was preached to you. So how in the world can you deny the resurrection from the dead for other believers? That's his point. I mean, he's he's essentially saying, folks, that's not just bad theology. That's bad logic. It just doesn't make any sense. So the Holy Spirit inspires Paul now to give seven dire consequences of denying the resurrection. Four of them are theological and three are personal. Let's look at these for a moment. Number one, to deny the resurrection means Christ is still in the grave. Notice what he says in verse 13. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. If, if, there's, if, if no resurrection is possible, then the bones of our Savior are still in an unmarked tomb somewhere. And, of course, Satan loves to perpetuate this kind of lie. And many people love to believe it because a dead Christ proves that Christianity is a lie. 
There is no God, there's no Son of God, there's no wrath of God on sinners that required an atonement, there's no resurrection of the just or the unjust, like these silly preachers say. There's no Son of God to whom has been given um, uh, authority to execute judgment. There's no Messiah who is going to return in power and great glory. Now, evidently, false teachers in Corinth taught that what the people saw was really just an illusion. And, of course, Paul said in verse 5 and following of this chapter, he said, no, no, no. He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. In other words, he's saying, come on, folks. All of these people bear witness that he he has risen. They met him. They ate with him. I mean, what spirit would eat a piece of broiled fish and honeycomb? One of them even put his finger in the nail prints and touched the Savior's side. I mean, the evidence is overwhelming. And, And you all believe this, so how can you now say, but there's no resurrection for the rest of us. How can you say that? Secondly, to deny the resurrection means preaching the gospel is useless. Notice verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. It's the idea that the preaching of the gospel is vacuous. It's devoid of any advantage or benefit. It's a pointless waste of time. What I'm doing right now is just a colossal waste of time. Because Christ was unable to conquer sin and death. So there's no good news. And of course, many churches who deny the resurrection are fine with that. And I can hear it now. Well, after all, we all know it's foolish to believe in some of those ancient myths. You certainly don't have to believe in the resurrection to be a Christian, for crying out loud. I mean, those ancient stories are are merely transcendent symbols that speak of God's infinite otherness and, and our utter inability to have any intimate contact with him. But the resurrection motif speaks of, of new beginnings that happen all the time in our life. The opportunity for hope and change in our life. That's what it speaks about. And we've all experienced how new things somehow spring up like an acorn comes up from the ground and produces a mighty oak. And everybody says, oh, isn't that wonderful? Blah, blah, blah. Meaningless, deceptive rubbish. You know, my mind goes to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1, beginning in verse 21. He said, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. Let me pause there. What I just said, that's not going to lead anybody to God. That might make you feel good. It's not going to lead you to God. He went on to say, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. He went on to say the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And beloved, what is this message that is so foolish that God uses to save sinners? What is the message that is preached? 
Well, it is the message that Paul said was of first importance earlier in the chapter, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Thirdly, to deny the resurrection means that your faith is useless. Notice in verse 14, your faith also is vain. Folks, if you deny the resurrection, you've put your trust in a a massive hoax, just a big lie. You've been conned. Or as we might say, you drank the Kool-Aid. Because you see, a dead Savior cannot save. Moreover, if by the word faith here, Paul is referring to the faith, the canon of Scripture. Remember, the faith of Jude 3, that was once for all delivered to the saints for which we were commanded to earnestly commend or contend. All of that's vain. All of that's useless. In other words, the objective truth of the word of God, God's revelation that was once and for all delivered to the saints as a unit in the canon of Scripture, all of that is useless. Throw your Bibles away. No need to study it. No need to meditate on it. No need to preach it, to exposit it. No need to defend it. No need to hide it in your heart. No need to obey it. No need to preserve it. It's all meaningless. The the gospel is not the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. It's just a fairy tale. And the stories of the person and work of Christ, all of that's fiction. All of that's myth. Jesus was just a wonderful historical figure, not the son of God. He was merely the embodiment of self-sacrificing love. But he was not the great I am who revealed himself to Moses as the one who always was and always will exist. He was not the one of whom John spoke. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. In other words, (laughs) Jesus was not the self-existent, pre-existent, uncreated creator of the universe. One who is unfathomably transcendent and morally pure. All of that's a bunch of silliness. He is not the one whose holiness exposes the sinfulness of man, which renders us guilty before the bar of God's justice. All of that's silliness. He was not the Lamb of God that took away the sin of the world. He is not the way, the truth, and the life. He is not the light of the world in whom there is life. All of that's baloney. He was just an ordinary man that did some extraordinary things. But he's still in the grave. If you believe that, folks, your faith is vain. It's worthless. Fourthly, to deny the resurrection means that the apostles and gospel preachers are all liars. Notice verse 15. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. And again, many people believe that today. And I would simply have to ask you, if you believe that, do you really expect me to believe that the apostles and all of the people down through 
the church age were willing to suffer persecution, many times torture and death, all on the basis of a lie? I mean, do you really think that the apostles got together and said, you know, we, we know this thing's a big hoax, but, you know, why don't we keep this up? You know, I mean, it's kind of cool to perpetuate this lie. And so you want me to believe that they all conspired together to con the world into believing them and then to suffer untold persecution on the basis of a hoax? I mean, do I have stupid written across my forehead? Beloved, if you read the historical account, you will quickly see that at first they really did believe he was dead. Right? Remember that? <laughs> I mean, they all thought they were toast. They all thought they were going to die. They were terrified. They didn't believe Mary when she came and told them that he was alive and he spoke to her. Remember Mark sixteen eleven, And when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they refused to believe it. All right, so I ask you, what changed their mind? I'll tell you what changed their mind. They saw him with their own eyes. They talked with him. He revealed themselves to them. Oh, child of God, the apostles did not preach a lie. They did not suffer and die for a lie. I mean, do you really believe that the millions of saints down through redemptive history would, would give their lives to preach the gospel on the basis of a fabrication? It's absurd. That's Paul's point. Fifthly, to deny the resurrection means that we are all still in our sins. Notice verses 16 and 17. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. I mean, folks, this is the most horrific consequence of all. Because you see, a dead Christ would mean that Christians are still under the same condemnation as non-Christians, as unbelievers. We're all still dead in our trespasses and sins with no hope of forgiveness, no hope of being reconciled to a holy God. Because you must understand, without the resurrection, the consequences of Adam's fall that plunged the entire human race into sin has not been dealt with. Satisfaction has not been provided. God did not accept the provision of his son. If Jesus did not rise from the grave, there is no divine vindication from the Father. No, well done, my son. No propitiation has been made. We are still in our sins. Ah, but some say, I believe in a spiritual resurrection. My friend, if you believe that, you're living in a fool's paradise. If there is no bodily resurrection from the dead, the consequences of sin that include both spiritual and physical death have never been remedied. Death is still the victor and Christ the victim. It's only in the resurrection that we are going to be able to stand bodily in the presence of God like Adam did before the fall. 
You see, through the resurrection, Christ becomes the, 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 the life-giving spirit. Not the second Adam, but the last Adam who brings into existence a, a new order of power and life and incredible glory that we will all one day enjoy in our resurrected body, resurrected body, a body suited for heaven. You see, salvation means to, to make us whole, to regain what was lost in the garden, namely the, privil- the privilege to stand in the presence of God blameless with great joy. The resurrection remedies all of that. But without the resurrection, we have no hope. We have no hope of being released from the bondage of life-dominating sins that bring such misery to our lives, to our families, to our communities, to our country, to our world. We have no hope of salvation, no hope of eternal life. All we have to look forward to is death and eternal punishment. Because the wages of sin is death. We are no better than the Pharisees to whom Jesus warned, you will die in your sins. Now, mind you, this was a powerful argument to the Corinthians. You know why? They knew that they weren't still in their sins. They had been radically transformed by the power of Christ. They knew that they were new creatures in Christ. They had been raised from spiritual death unto spiritual life. They had experienced the miracle of the new birth, the miracle of regeneration, that supernatural, instantaneous, miraculous impartation of spiritual life to the spiritually dead. Let me give you one example. You will recall earlier in 1 Corinthians 6, beginning in verse 9, he says to these saints, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then notice what he says. Such were some of you. Such were some of us. All of us can be included in that list somewhere, in some way, somehow. Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. So essentially what he's saying to them is, is, is how can all of this be if Christ is powerless over sin, Satan and death? And obviously the resurrection proves that that is not so. He has power over all three. He has conquered Sin, Satan, and death. And sixthly, to deny the resurrection means Christians who have died are forever lost. Notice what he says, verse 18. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Perished. What a word. It means the same thing in Greek as it does in English. It just literally means they go out of existence. They are forever lost, forever forgotten. What a terrible thing. You will never see God, nor your loved ones or your friends. Christianity is a religion, therefore, of utter futility and hopelessness like all the other pagan religions. 
without the resurrection. I mean, no wonder 70,000 people per year die of drug overdoses in the United States. And what do you have to live for if you believe that? Folks, the reason our world is so angry and anxious and depressed today is because they have not embraced the gospel. You just ask the average millennial. I would challenge you to do this. I mean, in a kind way. Just go up to one of those coffee shops down in the Gulch or wherever it is. They won't let me in there. I mean, they can tell by looking at me. I don't belong there. But, 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 but just go there. And say, you know, I, I'm, I'm curious. I'd like to buy you a cup of coffee and talk to you for a moment. I'm curious, do, do you believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ? Just watch the reaction. <laughs> the, the what? And, and, then, and then say, you, you know, do you believe in what the Bible calls the resurrection of the just and the unjust? That, that, that all people are going to be raised from the dead. And of course, you know what their response will be. I mean, they'll probably be kind, but as soon as you leave, they're going to laugh, they're going to mock, and maybe even in your presence, they'll call you names. And you see, for most people, the answer is more alcohol, more drugs, more sex. How about same sex? How about... Uh, I'm going to be a different gender today. I'm going to identify as something else. Oh, I know what will help. I'll, I'll buy more stuff. I'll make more money. I'll get a new tattoo. Boy, those are the answers, right? Look at the futility of all of this. Folks, the answer is Christ crucified, buried, and raised again on the third day. An ascended Christ that is coming again. But people today have been taught that there's nothing, that they're nothing more than sophisticated germs, the theory of evolution, random selection, there's no God, there's no absolute truth, no meaning, no purpose, there, there's certainly no lasting joy, no hope, no resurrection. Let's just be a, a narcissistic hedonist. And, and by the way, that's where Paul goes with all that. If you're going to believe this, verse 32, he says, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. I mean, let's just party or commit suicide, one. I, I would challenge any of you who, who, who deny the resurrection and all of these great gospel truths, I, I, I would ask you, why would you love anyone if you're never going to see them again after they die? If, as Paul argues, those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished, I mean, what comfort can there be when a friend loses a spouse or a child, a father or a mother, a grandparent? If Christ has not been resurrected, we cannot say to them to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. All we can say is what Bob Hope used to sing. Remember that? Thanks for the memories. Well, that's a comfort. One of the stanzas said, We said goodbye with a highball. Then I got as high as a steeple. But we are intelligent people. No tears, no fuss. Hooray for us. Thank you so much. Thanks for the memories. That's it? 
Oh, no, dear friends. We can tell people, if they have a loved one that knew Christ, we can say that that body is one day going to rise from the dead because that soul has been forever united to the Lord Jesus Christ. You were buried with Christ. You were raised to walk in newness of life spiritually. And one day you're going to burst up from that grave and your body is going to be reunited with the soul. We can tell them that we sow the seed of this body into the earth so that it will germinate and one day be raised from the dead. That's what we can tell them. And we can tell them this on the basis of a risen Christ. So I'm not going to sing thanks for the memories. I'm going to sing up from the grave he arose. Right? With a mighty triumph o'er his foes, he arose a victor from the dark domain. He lives forever with the saints to reign. He arose, he arose, hallelujah, he arose. We want to sing it, don't we? No, child of God, we, theologically, spiritually speaking, we already are seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Paul talks about that in Ephesians. Again, we've, we've been raised to walk in newness of life. And the Holy Spirit is the, the first fruit of the promise that there is going to be more. And it's God's testimony that there is more to come. And that's what we're going to see later on in 1 Corinthians 15. So those who have fallen asleep in Christ have not perished. Oh, no, not at all. And finally, to deny the resurrection means... Number seven, Christians are the most pitiable people on the planet. Verse 19, if we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. Again, folks, to deny the resurrection means that the the crushing burden of sin has not been lifted. We believe a lie. To deny the resurrection means that that the terrible guilt of sin has not been remedied. The terrible condemnation of sin has not been dealt with. The shackles of, of life dominating sin have not been broken. And the fear of death has not been conquered. We are just unforgiven fools. With no hope, no future, only judgment. And oblivion or reincarnation. I'm going to come back like a dog or something, as some people would have us believe. I mean, this is just pure existentialism, isn't it? And as individuals, we are solely responsible for determining our destiny. Because after all, there is no future. And if there is no future, the present is irrelevant, right? So let's party. Let's just, you know, go to school, graduate from high school, maybe go to college, get a job, start fighting traffic, spend our life trying to make enough money to pay the basic bills, take a few vacations that we can't really afford. For most people, retire pretty much broke. As you get older, you get sick. You get old, you get decrepit. You go to a nursing home. And you have someone feed you and clean up after you while you drool on your bib, wearing a diaper, and then you die and disappear 
into oblivion. Really? Isn't life fun? I know what you're thinking. Thanks, Pastor, for the encouragement, right? Boy, I just feel so uplifted. You know what? That's exactly what Paul's trying to do. Make you feel utter despair. That this is absolutely absurd. Because he's preparing you for verse 20 and following, where he says, But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who were asleep. For since by one, by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. Right? So yeah, life can stink at times, but my goodness, what a joy to live for Christ. To know the realities of, of, of His presence as we commune with Him, as we serve Him, as we give our lives for Him. Knowing that come what may, He, was, he is with us, He will never leave us, He will never forsake us. And to know that even when we die, we just are transformed and enter into the presence of His glory And one day our bodies are going to be reunited with our soul. So when Peter says we are to rejoice always and again, I say rejoice. That's why. It's because of the gospel. And at the core of the gospel is the bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and all who belong to him. And for this reason, we can all praise God The sting of death has been withdrawn, and with Job we can say, As for me, I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will take his stand on the earth. Even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh I shall see God, whom I myself shall behold, and whom my eyes will see, and not another. Oh, dear Christian, celebrate the resurrection in your heart even today. Meditate on it. Read about it, think about it, teach it to your children. Tell your friends about it. Let the unsaved see the joy of the Lord in your heart. Even as we watch our country just disintegrate into moral chaos. If you're here today without Christ, you probably know who you are. You've just got a form of godliness, but there's no power. You don't really know and love Christ. You're just kind of religious, kind of on the fringes. If that is you, I would plead with you to see the horror of your sin and run to the cross and ask God to save you by his grace, and he will instantly. And all of these great truths will be yours by grace alone, through faith alone. And for this reason, all God's people can say, Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for these precious truths that inspire us, that animate our hearts to worship and to praise and to ultimately serve you. I pray that the gospel will go forth from all of our lives in such a way as to bring many to saving faith in Christ. For it's in his name that I pray. Amen. We pray you've been edified by this presentation. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Calvary Bible Church in Jolton, Tennessee. 
For more information on Calvary Bible Church or for more audio, please visit our website at cbctn.org.